Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everybody who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all of the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This is the very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but you shall not see my face. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the word that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come with you, and let nobody see seen throughout the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite their mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended into the cloud and stood with them there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the God, a merciful God and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but uh, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity 
and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you shall see that the work of the Lord, is, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. We're going to skip to verse 29, which is at the, um, the bottom of the, uh, the page. <clears throat> when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Father God, with Moses, so we pray, please show us your glory. Father, thank you that what Moses saw on that mountain, we see as we open the Bible and hear of Jesus. So please, Father God, show us your glory in Jesus for our blessing. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, I wonder if you know those two questions that kind of give you a bit of a, um, a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. What have I done? What can I do about it? What, what have I done? And now what can I do? That's all the more horrible when the answer to the first question is something terrible. And the answer to the second question is nothing. What, what have I done? What can I do? It looks like. I can't do anything about it. Now, that, that sort of horrible, sick feeling in the stomach, I was thinking of that when I saw this viral video that, that went around about a kid in a baseball bat match. If you know anything about baseball, you know that um, the, the crowd love it when, it, when it. when a ball gets popped up into the crowd, be it, a, um, be it from a foul ball or a home run, what you love is you love to catch that ball, take that ball home, and it's an amazing, exciting thing. So this is what happened. You saw the, um, what you're going to see is they, uh, if the video does work. Um, the, a, guy, a guy whacks the ball out, it enters into the crowd, great excitement, who's going to end up with the ball? And it's this wonderful moment where you see a guy, he's got the ball, and then he decides to be a really good guy, he takes it and he gives it to the kid, and the kid takes it and just chucks it away. And I love this moment, just watch what happens. I love the moment um, where, and we just pause it there, if you're able to pause it there. The dad, like the kid is just on his phone, gets the ball, all right, just chucks it back, and the brother is like, what have you done? And the dad, I don't know if you call this, to begin with, he's like, oh my goodness, what have you done? Realizes he's on the TV. And he's like, it's okay, it's okay, kid. And, and this moment is sort of sums up to me that kind of feeling, how you can respond in those moments. Because you can have the reaction of the brother and just feel angry. Angry at yourself, maybe angry at others. You can have the reaction of the dad, which is kind of, 
We're going to pretend it's all okay. I'm really annoyed. It, that, I could have done with that ball, thanks very much, my collection. Or the other brother, I, I love the way the kid is just back on his phone. I mean, he's totally oblivious. He doesn't really mind. Now, there's something, I think that video, you know, the reason why it goes viral is it, it kind of touches that chord. We laugh about it in something like that. But actually, we can laugh at it, and maybe we laugh like nervously because we know it touches on something quite true. Because we know that feeling, what have I done? And maybe a lot more important, well, normally it's a lot more important, isn't it, than a baseball. Often maybe it's something, something precious. Or even worse, it's someone precious, a relationship that's been broken. And that question, what have I done? Something terrible. What can I do? (gasps) Nothing, I've thrown it away. I've lost it, it's gone. And these verses of the Bible that we're reading this morning speak into a moment like that because if it's bad enough to throw away something precious, if we know how horrible it is to throw away or to lose someone precious, how much worse, how much more serious when that thing, that one, is the relationship we have with God. These verses confront us with that moment, what have we done? Thrown away a relationship with God, what could we do? I don't know, seems like nothing, and it speaks into that moment. These verses show us a picture. They go, when a people are far from God, well, what happens? These people, the Lord comes to them in Moses and saves through Moses. That's what we're going to see over the course of of these verses. When a people are far from God, the Lord comes to them through Moses, and the Lord saves them through Moses. We're going to spend most of our time in the middle, that that, that middle um, section. But begin with, we see that portrait of a people who are far from God. So if you've got your Bibles, do keep them open. It was page 88. And we saw that scene there in 7 to 11, which is, which is a people far from God. And we pick up, we've picked up, we've spent a couple of weeks out of Exodus. I don't know if you remember a couple of months ago, we've been working through the book of Exodus and we've picked up where we've left off. We pick up now in the midst of a people far from the Lord. And I don't know if you remember the story of Exodus so far. We've had um, chapters 1 to 18, the people rescued by the Lord. Chapters 19 and 20, that rescue was for a relationship. And then 21 and 24 gave us the shape of that relationship. They were rescued for a relationship. 21 to 24, chapter chapter 21, 24, that, that I mean, that relationship is to be a relationship of love. And then we had chapters 25 through to 31, and we've just seen this, this, this relationship of love. And 25, chapter 25 to 31 is a bit like a couple planning their new home. We had the description of a tabernacle. This, this couple, this begins this relationship, this relationship of love. 25 to 31, we get a description of a tour around their new home, the tabernacle that's there to be at the heart of the people, that's there to be the heart of their relationship. But... Chapter 32, we saw it was as if that relationship was broken by a kind of adultery that the people committed against God. And, and chapter 32 began with the people abandoning the Lord. 
abandoning Moses, abandoning the Lord. And chapter 33 begins with the Lord just setting himself apart and withdrawing from the people who have abandoned him. They've got this devastating news just before. Maybe it's the top of the page there on on page 88 that we just see in in verse 9, the people mourning and grieving because over at the end of um, page 87 on verses 4 onwards, the Lord has said, fine, you'll live, fine, you'll go through to the land, but you will live and you will have the land apart from me. And the people are devastated. And we get a picture of how they're left in verses 7 to 11. Um, now we have people <clears throat> excuse me, who are far from the Lord. So did you notice verse 7? Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. <laughs> Instead of this home, the tabernacle, in the heart of the camp, surrounded by the people, for the people, you now have a tent outside the camp, far from the camp, only for Moses. And it's there as they look out to it as a reminder of what they have lost, that sense of sickening kind of feeling. What have we lost? What have we done? What can we do? You could just see them there as they gather up. Verse 8, look at verse 8, it's quite poignant. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. The intimacy of what Moses enjoys just intensifies the distance that they have. All these people standing on the outside, looking on, seeing that they are a people apart from God. And as we see this people far from God now, it pictures the truth of so many of us. Now, if we look at those people's story, then we get a picture, this truth of, that's true for so many of us now. I mean, that, that sense of, of maybe how we feel that people stood there at that distance, that sense of feeling distance from the Lord. It could be a sense of how we feel. It could be that sense of that reality of actually how we are. And that reality, you remember those, um, that final frame with the kids in, in, in the baseball? One guy feeling angry about it. One guy trying to make the best of it. Another guy ignoring it, but however they responded, the fact is that ball was lost. That ball was gone. And if we are those who have turned our back on God, who have turned our back on his word, if we treat God like Israel did in chapter 32, then we stand before God like Israel do in chapter 33, a people far from God. And if that's how we feel, or if that's even maybe we don't feel like that, but like the dad or the kid on his phone, we're just ignoring that. These verses give us that reality. But as we ask, what, as we see what, what can be done, and as we ask, what can we do, the answer comes back nothing, but answers that the Lord is doing something. Because when the people are far from the Lord, when we are far from the Lord, the Lord comes in Moses. 
Because in the midst of these verses, in the midst of this darkness, there's like this sliver of light. There's just this shred of hope, this sort of thread to which the people might cling. In, in, in 33, 12 to 34, chapter, um, in chapter 34, verse 9, we see the Lord's favor to Moses. And that favor to Moses is like that glimmer of, of light in the darkness, like that thread, that shred of hope to which the people might cling. Let's just trace that through these verses. The Lord's favor, that word grace, his love towards Moses, it's six times in this, um, in this section. So 33 verse 12, um, my, since you have favor, at the end of verse 12, favor in God's sight. Verse 13, twice, therefore if I have found favor in your sight, in the middle of verse 13, so that I might find favor in your sight. Verse 16, Talks about God's, how will we know that we have your favor on us? Verse 17, God says, yes, you have found favor in my sight. 34, verse 9, therefore, if you found favor, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, it's like this thread that, that, that courses through it. The grace of God to Moses, the love of God to Moses threads through these verses. <clears throat> and offers the only way back to God. It's a bit like a, um, a rope that might be thrown down to a climber in the darkness of a climber that's lost in the darkness of a canyon. The rescue that's offered to someone who's lost their way, someone who's fallen, someone who's totally trapped and without hope. And in the same way, just as a, um, a lost, a fallen, a trapped climber might see that cord uncoiling and coming down to them, they need to be sure of two things. Now, I don't do climbing, but I'm pretty sure you need to be um, sure of two things. You need to make sure that that cord is tied firmly to you, and you need to make sure that that cord is anchored firmly to something above. Okay, And so I've got two questions. Is that securely fastened to me, and is that safely anchored above. And that is what Moses does over the course of these verses in in the end of 33, the start of 34. He grasps at this, sorry, frog in my throat. Um, He grasps at this cord, this only way back, and he checks two things. He says, Lord, is your favor clipped firmly to me? And Lord, how deep does that grace and love go in you? Is it firmly attached to me? Is it firmly, safely anchored in you. And so 12 to 17, he checks the first of those. He says, really, Lord, is that favor, is that love really there for me? And that's what he, that's what he asks. He, 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 um, he asks him in verse 12, he says, Lord, okay, you've, you've said, you have said to me, I know you by name. And you have found favor in my sight. You know, Lord, you've said I found favor in your sight. So therefore, show me your ways that I might know you to find favor in your sight. He he says, or at the start of 12, you said, bring up this people, but you have not let me know, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He says, look, you've, you've said that you love me, but you've said that you've bound yourself to me. Will you abandon us? Will you go with us? Who, who, are you going to send with me from here? 
Will you go with me? Let it be you who comes with me in verse 13. Let it be you in verse 13 who comes with me because you love me. And so the Lord responds, look at verse 14. I love you and I will go with you. My presence will go with you and I will give you, Moses, rest. (laughs) So the Lord in verse 14 is saying, yes, Moses, I am binding myself tightly to you. I'm binding myself to you by my love and by my grace. But here's the interesting thing. Moses says, okay, Lord, you've bound yourself to me, but Moses tugs at it even harder. And he's saying, look, your love and your grace can bear my weight to rescue me. But here's the thing, Lord, you've said that you love me. God said, you, singular. You've said you'll be with me. The Lord said, I'll go with you, singular. But Lord, will you love the people around me. It's as if he looks around. Again, it's like he looks around and he sees the people trapped and, and alone and fallen around him. He's like, if they come to me, will your grace to me bear the weight, not just of me, but them as well? And that's, that's what he asks in verse 15. He says in verse 15, Well, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people, distinct from every other people in the face of the earth. Moses says, don't send us unless you go with us. If I have found favor, then go with us. You've bound yourself to me, Lord. Because of your love to me, Lord, I long that you would save them. And so the Lord replies in verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. Such is my love for you, God says to Moses that I will save them. My love to you is their way back to me. The Lord has come to Moses. He's bound himself to Moses. He's bound himself in love. And that love is so secure that it can can bear the weight of not just Moses, but the people. That people who are fallen, that people who are lost, that people who are trapped all around him. So having seen how firmly that love is secured to him, there's something else now that Moses needs to be sure of. This love for me couldn't be more secure. But then it's as if he's tracing the rope from the darkness of the bottom of the pit up, up to the light where rescue is found. And he needs to ask, how firmly is that rope anchored? How firmly is that love anchored? above. And that's the question that he asks in 33, 18 onwards. We see that question asked and, and answered. So in 18, it's as if he looks up from the darkness up to the light and asks, how firmly is it secured? Look at verse 18 of chapter 33. He says, Lord, please show me your glory. He, he, he's saying, what do I find, Lord, as I trace this rope up? As I trace it up through the darkness into the light, 
What is the love like? Show me your heart where this love is anchored. Show me the love where this, where this heart is anchored. Show me your glory, the heart of who you are. And the Lord responds, saying, I will. Verse 19, I will show you my glory, which 19 is my goodness and my grace and my mercy. He says, I will show you the heart of who I am. I will show you the truth of who I am, the deepest, the highest truth about me. You see, the highest, the deepest truth about me, God says, is that my glory is my goodness. My majesty is my mercy. My greatness is my grace. So my name, the truth of who I am, the heart of all I am is summed up in these words, verse 19, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Grace flows from me because of the grace in me. Love flows from me because of the love that is me. Mercy flows from me because of the mercy that is who I am. And so he promises in verses 20 to 23, I will give you an encounter with that glory, he says. You will just see a part of me, but as you see the part of me, that is the truth of me. You will see the heart of who I am, but you can't bear to see all that I am. I mean, a bit like you might with a lost climber that's been trapped in darkness. Trapped in the dark, you would say, look, I'll show you the light, but you cannot now, you can't yet bear the light in all of its brilliance. In all of its brightness. And so in 18, Moses says, Show me the heart of who you are. 19 to 23, the Lord says, I will show you. And 34, those first verses at the start of 34, leave us in a place of tension. Because we're suddenly aware that this love, let's kind of think of this rope, this love is the only way back for this people, back to God. And that's uh, verses 1 to 4, describe of chapter 34, new tablets of stone being made. As if the last time Moses went up the mountain, he, he received these tablets, these covenants, this expression of God's covenant love to his people, like a marriage certificate declaring, defining, securing their relationship. But last time round, that had been shattered by the unfaithfulness of the people. And so now Moses is given new tablets. Now the people are given a way back to a new relationship with God, a way back to what they had lost. And so verses 1 to 4 of chapter 34 offer this hope of a way back to God. And verses 5 to 9 show that that hope is anchored. I'm not going to tug on this because I'm not sure it is that firmly anchored. But verses 5 to 9 show that that hope that we see at the start of 34, verses 5 to 9 show that hope is anchored in the very heart of God, the very heart of who God is. That is what he declares. That is what he shows in verse 5 to 9. He descends, he comes to Moses, and he proclaims 
the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The Lord says, the heart of who I am is a heart of love for the lost. My majesty is my mercy. My glory is my goodness. My greatness is my grace. And and that's why because of that, he says in the rest of the verse, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What that means is he's saying, look, because I'm the God who forgives, because this is where love and forgiveness is found, to reject this God, to be far away from this God, to take your family away from this God, I think that's what it means by those generations, to take your family away from this God is to step away from the one place where forgiveness, mercy, compassion, and love can be found. Because that is the deepest, that is the highest, that is the truest truth about God. He opens his heart before Moses, and what Moses sees is love. That love that is fixed on him, that love is anchored in the very loving heart of God. And so Moses now, certain of that love fixed on him, certain of that love anchored in the heart of God reaches out to embrace the people around him in verse 19. On the basis of that love, he prays. So Lord, in verse 19, um, sorry, uh, in verse, I've lost where I am because of that love, he prays. Sorry, yeah, verse, um, verse, uh, verse nine, sorry, not 19. No wonder I was lost. On the basis of that love, he prays. So if now I have found favor in your sight, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. It is a stiff-necked people, but pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. Because of your grace to me, because of the love you are, save this people. Forgive us, restore us, and bring us home. And, and across Exodus, we've witnessed the revelation of the Lord and his name. It's been a bit, a bit like a firework. You know one of those fireworks that like explodes in different steps along the way, each time greater than the other. You kind of follow it as it bursts in, in sequence. And we've seen that in Exodus 3. It's as if we've traced the firework exploding. God saying, I am who I am. And then Exodus 15, at the salvation, I am the God who saves. And now this final burst in Exodus 33 and 34, I am the God who saves by forgiving people from their sins. And as we trace that arc, that firework exploding across Exodus, we trace the flight of that firework across the pages of Exodus, across the Old Testament, into the New Testament, and it bursts with all its brilliance in the pages of the New Testament and in the person of Jesus. Because listen to how John describes the person of Jesus in John chapter 1, at the very beginning of his gospel, and it's there 
on the screen. He just he simply says this. Just look at, at the heart of those verses. He describes Jesus as the word who was, among, who was with God in verse 14. And then he says this. We have seen his glory. You know that glory that Moses longed to see? You know that, that glory that Moses could only just glimpse? Well, we have seen that glory. The glory as of the Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. That's there in verse 14. What Moses glimpses on the mountain, we see in all its fullness in the person of Jesus. The Lord's grace was, was, was on Moses. It was fixed on him and anchored in his heart. That was the people's hope. That was the way back home. But now we see something even more precious, even more glorious, a hope that is even more secure because God's love is fixed on Jesus. God's love is fixed on Jesus, and Jesus reveals his heart. In Jesus, we see the one that the Father loves. In Jesus, we see the depth and the truth and the grace of that love. You know, as we trace that firework of God's character and that revelation through Exodus across the pages of Scripture, it bursts in all its brilliance in the person of Jesus. In him, we see the revelation of the Father's love. In him, we find the place where that love can be found. The only God that exists is the God who is revealed in the grace and love and goodness of Jesus. There is nothing deeper, higher, or beyond the grace and love that we see in Jesus. The only God that exists is the God we see in Jesus. And the only way to that God is in Jesus. And so when I feel far from the Lord, He comes to me, He comes to us in Jesus. There could be no love deeper than the love of the Father for Jesus. And there is no love greater than the love I see revealed in Jesus. Like a, and so I, like a fallen climber, I need to sort of cling to the one who is being hoisted up, as it were, by the rescuer. I am to cling to Jesus. Or better still, just as Moses said, Father God, you love me, and because of your love for me, save them and reaches out to embrace them, so too the Lord Jesus says, Father, such is your love for me. In your love for me, save them. We're called to come to Jesus, be embraced by him, and allow him to cling to us and to bring us to salvation. That's what we're going to picture as we come to the, Lord, uh, to the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus opening his arms wide on the cross, bidding us to come to him as he clings to us. He, the one on whom God's love is fixed. He, the one in whom we see the depth of the love that is in the heart of God. And that's actually what we see in the rest of these verses just in like one or two minutes now as we finish. That when a people are far from God, the Lord comes to them in Moses and so saves through him. And that's what happened... Um, 
So back in page 89. That's what the Lord says. Moses prays, forgive these people in verse 9 of chapter 34. And verse 10, the Lord says, I am making a new covenant. I will do marvels. I will do things better than before. And all the rest of page, <coughs> excuse me, of chapter 34, that bit that Paul skipped, is basically a repeat of what we had before. Repeat of what we had from chapter 20 onwards when the, God was, when the Lord was establishing his covenant with his people. The Lord is saying we're back to how it was. And even better, because as Moses, I wonder if you saw that detail, as Moses comes down in verse, 20, in verse 29, he comes down, and look at verse 29, his, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. Moses shines with the glory of God. As he sees God and his glory, he shares that glory amongst the people. He brings that glory of God with him into the heart of people. And as the people look to Moses, they see Moses is the one who brings the Lord to them, who brings salvation to them. As I look at Moses, I see God's glory is with us. As I look at Moses, I know that through him we are saved. But that glory that Moses glimpsed on the mountain, like we've said, is just a glimmer of something more. Because what the people glimpsed in Moses was to lift their eyes to the Savior that was to come. Because the salvation worked for the people in Moses was to point them and to preach to them of the salvation that would be won for them in Christ Jesus. Again, like a firework arcing through the sky, they were to follow its fight until it burst in all its brilliance in the person of Jesus. Like John chapter 1 verse, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God. But the only God, the Lord Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And so, what Moses glimpsed on the mountain, we see in the Lord Jesus. As we hear of Jesus in the pages of the Bible, as we open our Bibles and read of Jesus, we see more than Moses saw on the mountain. We share more than Moses shared in that camp. It's a glory made known to us, a glory that changes us. The Lord who comes to us in Jesus saves us and changes us through him. So the question, what, what do we do when we've thrown it all, all away? When we have that question, what have I done? What have I done and what do I do? Well, what have I done? Well, the answer was terrible. And what do I do? The answer is, well, actually nothing. But the Lord has come, and the Lord saves through Jesus. I just um, this final picture. You, you might be wondering how. I'm, I'm sorry to leave you with, the, with that video earlier of like the kid looking sad. It had a happy ending because actually they saw that the kid had thrown. You probably don't see it on this, but what happens is the stadium commentator comes back to that family and he brings a signed baseball. So not just the baseball back, but this time it's signed. Not just one baseball, but one each for both brothers and the guy who gave away. I mean, it's a lovely picture, isn't it? Of this time, it's restored 
but even better. And that's what we see in Exodus 33 and 34. That is above all what we see in the Lord Jesus. When we were far from God, he comes to us in Jesus and he saves us in Jesus and the glory of our salvation in Jesus is far greater, far more wonderful than anything we see lost by the people there at Sinai. Again, Moses prayed, please show me your glory. Father, show us your glory. Please take those words that we've just been reading, that we've just been hearing, keep those words from these truths, Father. Reveal to us your glory. Help us to live in the light of that glory that shines from the face of Christ so that we might live in that light and that we too might share and shine forth in that light wherever you take us in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.